This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. My guest today is Karina Robinson. She's the CEO and founder of Robinson Hambro. Karina spent most of her career as a journalist covering international financial issues. She was senior editor of the Banker Magazine for eight years and the International Herald Tribune's banking columnist. She was also formerly a political and economic correspondent at Bloomberg TV. She was educated in Madrid at the Hotchkiss School in the U.S., and at the London School of Economics, where she studied economics and international relations. She's fluent in four languages. Her firm, Robinson Hambro, provides chairman and CEO advisory services and board search. Karina has just been appointed a senior advisor to Multiverse, which is a quantum computing company headquartered in Spain with offices in Toronto and Paris. Previously, she was a senior advisor to Cambridge Quantum, one of the premier global quantum software companies which merged last year with hardware specialist Honeywell Quantum Solutions to form Quintinuum. Karina is also the founder of the City Quantum Summit, which is where I first met her. Her inaugural event took place last November in the Mansion House in the heart of the City of London. She writes a column on the implications of the quantum computing revolution, including my favorite, Why Quantum is a Board Issue. So welcome, Karina. I'm delighted to have you joining me. Chris, it's my absolute pleasure. So let's jump in. I always like to start the podcast by asking my guests to share a bit about their own personal quantum journey. So my objective is, of course, to give our audience a sense of what you did before you founded Robinson Hambro and how you ended up in the QIS space. Again, objective is twofold to orient our audience certainly to the fact that there are many ways and various paths that people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So if you could share a bit more detail with our listeners about you know where you grew up and where you went to school, Hotchkiss was down the road from me, as we discussed, what you studied, and then insight into the companies or organizations where you worked before moving into the quantum space. Absolutely, Chris. Well, I can sort of start with the fact that I was brought up in Madrid and then um, went off to the U.S. for some years, to Hotchkiss, to Johns Hopkins for a year, to Washington because I wanted to be a diplomat, and I spent a year doing internships, and then I realized I didn't want to be a diplomat. (laughs) The reality wasn't quite as glamorous. Um, I then went to the London School of Economics, where, as you said, I read international relations and economics. And what's so interesting is it doesn't really matter what you study at university. That's something I'd certainly say to so many people, you know, study what gives you a thrill, study something that you want to explore more. Because in the end, your career will go in all sorts of ways, you know, unless you're a doctor or a lawyer or something very much more clear cut. I then became a journalist. And I loved I loved being a journalist because it's about curiosity. You have a license, an absolute license to go around asking people. And Chris, can I just confess, I'm incredibly lazy. So (laughs) the idea of, you know, going to a library, because this was pre-internet, going to a library, spending hours searching for books, reading books, or to sort of find out about the same topic by going to interview the world's expert on it. You can see why, you know, the lazy option is much better. (laughs) 
And as <laughs> you agree, of course, having been in this sort of space. So that's what I did for many years. And I interviewed everybody from the a couple of presidents of Mexico, the chairman of Nestle, and um, lots and lots of bank CEOs and central bank governors. So it was a wonderful, wonderful life. But then I got to 45 and I thought, well, you know, do I want to be doing this when I'm 60, when I still want to be working? So I took some time out. I was then, um, and part of what I wanted to do was give back a bit more because unlike this generation, which is busy giving back at the same time as it's, um, as they're, you know, they're going through their careers. Yeah. I think for you and me, it was all about, you know, you got to an older age and then you started giving back. So what I did is I, um, I went for an interview as a trustee to a headhunting firm and the chairman said, but, you know, you spent your whole time with country presidents, with presidents of banks. You're very comfortable at that level. Why don't you just join me and co-lead the board search? So I became a headhunter. And wow. that was headhunting for CEOs of companies, non-executive directors, chairs. And I then set up with this rather wonderful man called Rupert Hambro. We set up Robinson Hambro. And the idea when we started, it was going to be mainly um, board search and, you know, 11 years later, what it's turned into is CEO chairman advice. I think because we realize that so many of them don't have somebody objective by their side saying, you know, your PR department has made a terrible choice. Because, you know, most of the time as a CEO or a chair, you have very little time. And nobody is going to tell you the absolute truth because they depend on you. Right. It turned out to be rather fascinating. So um, we've advised uh, the CEO and founder of a cognition platform, executive, spearman, uh, executive chairman of a Spanish bank. And I got into the quantum space because I started advising Ilias Khan, who, as you know, is the CEO of Cambridge Quantum, now Quantinium. Yeah. So first of all, I just want to say thank you for making the point about it. Um, it doesn't necessarily matter what you study, that the that the path, the workforce path or whatever is going to be varied. And certainly I think for this generation, I'll sort of get up on my soapbox for two seconds and say, yes, you know, there are lots of options to do interesting stuff. People should embrace embrace those possibilities. But how did you go from being the CEO of a firm focusing on, you know, CEO, chairman, advisory, and search to being interested in quantum information science? So you mentioned Ilias Khan. Um, was it a chance meeting with him or maybe an article or blog you read or some late night epiphany in a pub, perhaps? Um, I did go to pubs. Okay, Chris. Okay. Just because I live in London, not everybody goes to pubs. The stereotypes, <laughs> okay. these stereotypes. Anyway, no, it was um, a friend of mine who is a CEO, who is still the CEO of a, a private bank. Um, he introduced me to Ilias. And I knew absolutely nothing about quantum. I didn't even know that what it meant, if you will, <laughs> other than, you know, quantum of solace. And I met Ilias and ended up um, advising the company on and off, mainly him, really. And what happened is he gave me, at the very beginning, he gave me a book. And I don't remember the title, but it was along the lines of Quantum for Idiots. It uh -oh. really was. And the worst thing, Chris, 
the worst thing is that by chapter two, I was lost and I had to give up. There are many books like that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when a physicist thinks that something is simple, for those of us who are simple, it may not be. (laughs) But what happened is I did get very interested, and maybe this is the journalist, I did get very interested in what the consequences of the quantum revolution were going to be. And I was able to advise Ilias on non-quantum matters, obviously non-quantum. He had more than enough PhDs there. And I I just thought, this is going to change the world. So how can I not be involved in some useful way? And that was really it. And then I started reading more about it. And if I think about, you know, that was four years ago. And four years ago, there was very little coming out. And now it's... I mean, for you and me, who've been involved for for a few years now, it's amazing the amount of information out there, the amount of funding. You know, it's become a proper ecosphere now, hasn't it? Yeah. Yes. No. It's it's amazing. I mentioned earlier you've joined Multiverse now as in a senior advisory role, and wondering why. I mean, there are many other firms you could have joined. Actually, uh, I've spoken to Sam Moogle. He's a fascinating gentleman and smart guy and savvy businessman. But wondering why you selected Multiverse as your next sort of quantum advisory role. There's one quirky thing, Chris, and then I'll go into serious reasons. But the quirky thing is, you know, I was raised in Spain. I'm partly Spanish. And Uh so a number of people I really admire in the quantum world had said to me, Multiverse would be a good fit for you. And then I thought I saw that they were headquartered in San Sebastián. And I thought, well, that was meant to be. I mean, on a more serious basis. Okay. <laughs> By the way, yeah. San Sebastián has the best food in the world. If you're a foodie, it's the place to go. The place yes, to go. Okay. that's what I've heard. So what I liked about them, there are about four things. One was the number of patents. I've been told their science was superb, and they have about 22 patents, which is more than you know, a number of countries have yeah. countries involved in the quantum world. That was really impressive. I also like the sort of people, companies, really, they were working with. So because, you know, I was senior editor of the banker and so forth, um, I know the Bank of Canada, which is the Central Bank of Canada. And I know that they're one of the outstanding central banks in the world. And if they were working with Multiverse, that was a great vote of confidence. Bosch is another great engineering company. Again, they were working with Multiverse. And McKinsey... The McKinsey Tech Council has only about 16 companies on it. And Multiverse, in fact, Sam Moogle, who was one of the founders of Multiverse, who you, who you mentioned you did a podcast with, he's yeah. on that tech council. Hmm. So I thought that was really impressive. And then the culture, because diversity and inclusion is incredibly important to me. On the side, I've um, at the London School of Economics, I've co-founded the Inclusion Initiative, with Professor Grace Lorden, and we use behavioral science and data to improve inclusion, diversity inclusion in in corporates. So wherever I went, that had to be part of it. And the culture at Multiverse, which I recently was able to see in person because I was in San Sebastian for some days, is, is exactly that, diverse and inclusive. And I suppose the fourth reason was really that they have two approaches which they bring together. And one is quantum solutions, which is hardware agnostic. And they work with different providers. 
And, you know, we can talk about the NISC era and noisy intermediate. Now, what is it, Chris? Noisy, noisy intermediate scale quantum. Scale quantum. Thank you. So yeah. obviously okay. we're not, you know, at stable quantum computers, but you can already obtain significant added value. They were doing that, but they were also working on quantum-inspired solutions. So using classical computers, but using the um, theories of deep physics. And interestingly, the work they do is anything up to a thousand times faster, in particular tensor networks. And without getting into technical detail, I mean, this is the advanced math solution used by China to beat Google's quantum computer. And there are very oh. few firms that actually, um, you know, use tensor networks. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that was really, you know, what sold me on them. And then I met the people and here we are. Yeah, well, very exciting. I look forward to learning more about that. Let's talk about the uh, 2021 City Quantum Summit, which I was fortunate enough to attend virtually, which was fantastic. Um, you brought together founders and CEOs of quantum computing companies, along with CEOs, chairs, and NEDs of banks, investors, consultants, law firms, and among others, the woman who runs the London Stock Exchange. Fantastic. The key takeaway was the fact that quantum computing is now a board issue, right? And you wrote a terrific editorial article on this topic. So what led you to realize that this conversation now needed to be conducted, not at the business day-to-day -day operations level, but really rather at the top of a company's management structure? I think the reason is that we're facing a number of challenges coming up. The most obvious one is in the cybersecurity space, but competition and any industry now can be disrupted. So competition is another issue. Sustainability, the environment. Now, these are all challenges that boards are looking at. So at a board level, I'd say these are some of the three biggest challenges that any company, well, especially companies in the financial services sector, um, need to look at. Yeah. How to find solutions? I think quantum is one of the main ways. And I don't expect you know, the non-execs and the chairs or the CEOs to become quantum specialists, but they need to get the conversation going and they need to have people in the executive functions who can figure out how the company is going to interact with the quantum world. And I think that was one of the main reasons behind the, the City Quantum Summit, because I, I mean, as you know, so many of these um, conferences and, you know, you moderate loads of them, but they're in the middle of Timbuktu, as far as I'm concerned. Now, I'm exaggerating, Chris, I am exaggerating, yeah. but you're not going to get the C, I mean, unless you're a tech CEO, you really don't want to be in Timbuktu. You want to be somewhere where you're going to bump into your peers. So the City Quantum Summit, I made it at the Mansion House, which is this amazing palace in the city of London, where the Lord Mayor, who's sort of the ambassador for the city of London, um, he lives there. Yeah, And it's absolutely beautiful. And I hope you'll be coming this year. So what it was is I knew the CEOs of the financial services companies would be coming there. And if they came and we got the quantum CEOs, we could start that conversation going. Yeah. And that was really how it all came about. What are you telling board members and CEOs in terms of like what a focus based on you know, the perennial risk versus reward uh, equation, like both near term and strategically, like to begin, where to begin, what the you're selling them on the fact that this is probably a long term play, 
um, relative to how they typically or historically generate revenue, if you will, or improve productivity or efficiency. So how do you have that conversation? It, it, you know, it's quite interesting you say that because having just joined Multiverse, I can now help them with the conversation by saying you can actually make money from it now, which is an interesting one, which I, I might not have been able to do before because you know Multiverse is actually doing work now that can be revenue generating. Yeah. But I think this is about you need to start experimenting. I think for some of the larger firms, you know, the JP Morgans don't need any advice on this. You know, they, right. I mean, the amazing future Nobel Prize winner, Marco Pistoia there and his Future Lab. Some of the big ones don't need that. But even some of the insurers who are quite large, they're not doing enough in that space. And I think there is the capacity to start experimenting. And it's, uh, it's something where there'll be enough enthusiasm because one also has to think about people. You know, you need, I mean, there aren't enough people with skills out yeah. there. You know, there is a, a war for talent. And I think you need to keep your people enthused. You need to f- make them feel, especially the younger ones who have a, a more balanced view of work life, if you will. You have to keep them feeling that they're learning all the time, that they're advancing. And therefore, you know, you give somebody in your organization, well, you know, we need to look at quantum. We need to look how it will fit with us. Will it be cyber? You know, will it be portfolio optimization, whatever? You're going to be bringing people in to start looking at this. And I think that's a great, a great sales pitch and yeah. a sort of motivating factor for, for some of the um, for some of the colleagues in these companies. So I know you were a senior advisor to Cambridge Quantum, Ilias and team, and now you have uh, this a similar role with Multiverse. So that gives you a view of the industry that's unique, I think, and also as a result of setting up the City Quantum Summit. But which companies do you see as winners in this space? I have to say that I was quite struck in my conversation with Sam Moogle at Multiverse. They are focused on financial services, and they're certainly hoping to generate learnings and best practices that could be extrapolated out and applied to, say, energy management or whatever. But mm-hmm. I was quite impressed. So that that said, what, where do you think you know the winners will appear? Which companies? I mean, just, you know, in terms of multiverse, I think they're already in um, in the energy space with Repsol and Enel in Italy. They're right. already, you know, in manufacturing and logistics um, with Bosch and a few others. But you're asking a very difficult question because, you know, I always say I'm not a scientist, <laughs> but of course I have an opinion, Chris, we all do. Oh, yes, that's what I want. Okay. So <laughs> my opinion, <laughs> I think it's very difficult to see which hardware is going to win out. Yeah. You know, they, all these firms, these startups and medium-sized firms are doing, are using different ways of getting there. And, I, you know, uh, maybe, I mean, if people who are such specialists are still not sure who's going to win, then who am I to say? So I'd be very careful with hardware. I could yeah. say the firms that are definitely going to win are going to be Amazon, Google, Microsoft. They have the funds to be able to take bets, to buy up whoever turns out to be successful. Yeah. You know, they are always the winners. Is this the best thing for the world? I'm not sure. They become even more powerful. Um, and we definitely have a have an issue with that. 
but they will win. And then a number of the software firms that are coming up with interesting algorithms, and there are a number of them out there. I think they will, and they will win either, you know, in terms of the use of what they do. And that will also depend on their getting patents, on their recruiting the right people, and on, yeah, being able to either sell themselves or do a SPAC, because you definitely need more money and more time to develop the best products. Yeah. Have I avoided answering your question? I no, I not. you skirted it very graciously, <laughs> gracefully. <laughs> no, I think I think you're right. It's you know, it's uh, this is all new. We're making it up as we go, which is why it's so exciting. But um, I think yeah, placing bets. The big the big players certainly are uniquely positioned to you know drive the the direction of the technology. Yeah. I'm going to ask you, in, in your work at Robinson Hambro, are you seeing any requests yet for quantum savviness, perhaps, as a qualifier for a senior role on a board or in the C-suite? And if not, do you think that conversation is coming and maybe how soon might we see that and where might we see that? We're definitely not seeing any requests for that at yeah. the moment at board level. I think a lot of boards from the non-technology space it's taken them a while to get to the point where they realize they need somebody who understands technology at board level. And what I'm always surprised at is how many CTOs don't seem to be on boards when mm. you know everything is digital. Your future, whatever your company's doing, depends on digital. So no, they're definitely not asking for quantum, but you know, on a CV, does it help? I'm sure. I'm sure it will help in every in any possible way because it is being at the forefront of technology. But not yeah. yet. No, yeah. not yet, Chris. Yeah. So I know you have a deep-seated belief in the power of diversity and inclusion to disrupt business models in a positive way. I want to get your take on how the emerging quantum workforce might advance this agenda, getting more think, women, people of color, you know, yeah. minorities, people who are maybe have been underserved or under-embraced, if you will. I think there is a major problem in the, the tech and the physics um, sectors. And obviously, there are not enough women, ethnic minorities, and so forth actually studying um, in those sectors to bring up lots of them. So one has to go all the way down to the sort of school level. Yeah. But on a in terms of you know all these startups, which and there are so many of them. Um, in the US, in Canada, in the UK, and so forth, if they can have more inclusive cultures, that's already setting in place an example for some of the big, because we certainly don't want to be like some of the big tech companies, where, you know, you've had some pretty disastrous reports on their DNI and on their yeah. culture. So I'm hoping, from what I've seen of the quantum eco space, it is a nicer place. Mm -hmm. It is a more accepting place. And you and I were at uh, Quantum Beach at the conference which the Quantum Insider did, which was really for the quantum industry. Now, the only thing I would say, yeah, everybody's really nice, everybody's really inclusive, but we had all-male panels. Now, that's something that there should be some sort of a, I don't know, a constitution or something for the industry setting out some parameters, and this has just occurred to me, Chris, but anyway, um, yeah. let's go with it. Yeah. Setting out Please. some parameters like we will never have an all-male panel. 
mm-hmm. or we will never have a panel without diversity. It's, you know, and I know from setting up the City Quantum Summit, there were two, two principles behind it. One was no jargon. I wanted everybody, however many PhDs they had, to make what they were saying understandable to people who were very clever, but not uh, physicists. And the other was diversity and gender balance. Now, it took me probably three times longer than it would have to accomplish that, as opposed to just going for the first, you know, there's so many men out there. It would have been much easier. But I didn't. And I think it was a better conference because of it, because diversity inclusion does lead to different conversations, more open, people coming up with ideas which might be slightly, you think that's not, that's sort of, I haven't heard that before. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get innovation. That's really where you get innovation, when you have different voices being heard in the room. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree. There's lots of funding from governments all over the world, right? Uh, looking to promote and advance quantum information science. I'm in the U.S., certainly. Um, in the U.K., you have the National Quantum Computing Center's Harwell campus. Right? It's due to open, I think, later this year to drive quantum technologies in the U.K., and they have a total of some something like 93 million pounds of funding and building on the U.K.'s National Quantum Technologies Program. What's your take on the role of government in expanding and in accelerating quantum awareness and development? Government is crucial, utterly crucial. If you look at the countries where there have been advances, you know, the US, I mean, if you think, actually, think of the um, Apollo. Yeah, the moon mission, right? Yeah, the moon mission. I mean, why did that succeed? That succeeded because you actually had government involved, government funding, which allows more experimentation. And I think in in something like the quantum field, you need experimentation. You need people to be able to say, well, actually, I don't just have venture funding, but I also have some government funding to be able to try different things. And look what, you know, the back of Apollo, we got all sorts of other tech advances that help society. So without government, and I know in the US, the government has been in some ways less generous, but, you know, the White House just had a summit. I think it was late last year, wasn't it, in October or November? Yeah, Yeah. Um, on quantum. So governments need to be involved. And not least because at the moment, you know, as we're seeing with Ukraine and Russia, we're living in in pretty scary times and we will need quantum both as an attacking instrument and as a defense. Well put. So looking ahead, I want to ask what your plans are for the the next City Quantum Summit in October. Uh, What do you have planned? Who might join you? What do you think the focus areas will be by then? Well, Chris, crystal ball, tell me what you see. Uh, Chris, I definitely want you there. Okay. London in the autumn is a lovely place to be. Oh, thank you. I'd love to join you. We will do, I think we'll start off with a lunch um, at the Warbrook Club for women in quantum because Denise Ruffner's Women in Quantum is doing some amazing work. And yes, fan- fantastic. Yeah. Shout out to Denise Ruffner. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and she definitely needs some support, uh, you know, financial support. And I think the industry, you know, will have a private fundraising lunch. Um, and the industry, I'm sure, will support her. And we'll have all sorts of wonderful um, people there from River Lane and Oxford Instruments and Amadeus. So from investors to quantum firms like Atom or Multiverse. And then yeah. what we're doing is we're having four different panels rather than five. 
And it's about the financing of the ecosphere. Because if you think about from last year to this year, I mean, what a change. What a change. So we need to look at that. It's about using quantum for financial advantage now because we are in the heart of the city and people need to know what can we do? What are people doing? So we might have standard charters, Elena Strobach helping because she's the global head of data science innovation and she'll be talking about what they're up to and Will Zeng from Goldman, I hope. I think something about talent acquisition and retention. If you look at, you know, does quantum have a challenge or a problem? Well, obviously, there's the scientific side of it. But the I'd say the only real one is getting the people and keeping them. And so we'll be looking at that and lessons from finance and deep tech. Great. Then I'd like to have some current user cases of quantum. So we'll have, um, I think, uh, Rolls-Royce and JP Morgan and Bosch and then AWS helping us along. The only thing, and you'll have to tell me if I'm doing the right thing or not, is uh, we don't have one on cybersecurity. But in a way, it's almost its own conference. Now, what do you think, Chris? Should I include it? Can I find the time? What do you think? Well, you know, um, Inside Quantum Technology is planning to do a cybersecurity, quantum cybersecurity event in October. So maybe we um, have you come to that event. Absolutely. Talk about that in New York. Yeah. No, New York. Love New York. Absolutely. Not that that has anything to do with it, but yes. Yes. I'd be delighted. That would be great. It'd be terrific. Well, Karina, we've come to the end of our time. I want to thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, I'm going to invite people to follow you on LinkedIn. Uh, Point them to the website, www.robinsonhambro.com. Certainly information about the uh, City Quantum Summit in October is there. And uh, delighted to see you in a month or so. Um, I can't wait to see you as well, Chris. It's the Economist Conference, isn't it, on quantum? I think it's their first ever. Yeah. Yeah. And you know how they came up with the idea? No. They came, two of them came to the City Quantum Summit last October. Really? No. I mean, really, they should pay me a royalty, don't you think? (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Absolutely. But thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Thanks, Karina, for joining me today. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast on your social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with Karina. And listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. A reminder that our next Inside Quantum Technology event is taking place in San Diego, May 10 through 12. It's going to be hybrid, so you can join in person or online. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.